Goff come across to catch, and there's a bounce, so that's not a surprise. How long before the helmet for Michael Bevan? Away, back to the square, and set thing in the final leg, and deep back to the square, and that's 50 on his debut for Ben Hurley. Uh, I'm joined at the outside of the world in, a, in Australia by ex-England uh, cricketing all-rounder, ex-Surrey cricketing all-rounder, and in recent times, MMA fighter, Adam Hollyo. Welcome, mate. How you going, Shaky? Good, mate. I'm very good. I'm very good. Now, I'm going to try and talk slow on this podcast because uh, Adam's already had some issues with my Glaswegian accent, so I'm going to try and take it, take it really slowly here. Um, born 5th of September 1971 in lovely Melbourne, Australia. What was that like, mate, being, uh, being born on, the, on that part of the world? I, I can't really remember it, mate. It was a long time ago, so <laughs> it was... Uh... Uh, I don't know. I lived there till I was about twelve, so uh, yeah. I don't remember much of that. Um, I probably only remember from about the age of nine onwards. So um, I remember. I just remember getting in, the, in a lot of fights at school. That's all I remember. So I think you remember the big things, eh? From when you get older. So I remember um, being teased because I was from a bit. My skin was a bit darker than the other kids from that mining town that I was in. So, um, yeah, yeah that's, that's all about I remember from there. So that was called Bal Ballarat, is that, if I pronounced that correctly? That's right, yeah. Funny accent, but you pronounced it correctly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, the family, your family had five, five generations there? I think so, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't actually um, know that much about that. You, that's, that's probably news to me, actually. Um, I know that my dad's side of the, the family, they're all from Ballarat. And then my yeah. mum's side is the one that's a bit confused as to where they actually come from. So they're from all over the place. But um, okay. yeah, that's, that dad's side, um, yeah, they're all Ballarat people. There's a gold mining town okay. from uh, back in the days. I think they got gold come, came down in the river and I think it was the old um, with the pan. People used to get the pan and um, sift through the stone for gold. So, um, gold rush territory. That's cool. So, so what was it like? Well, I mean, you obviously you only remember from about nine years onward. But what was it like growing up there? What did you do with yourself around the around the area? You know, what's your family kind of background? How many siblings were you? Um, you know, did you you know cousins or anything? What what was it like around there? Yeah, that was good. I mean probably the same as uh, all people my age there wasn't much to do other than sport and ride your bike really so um and the, the place where i lived was a place called mount clear which is actually just outside ballarat it probably had a population of about i don't know about 900 or something like that so it was a pretty small place and everyone mm -hmm. knew everybody around there so um it was it was probably very different to the 20 years that I spent in London, quite the opposite. So, yeah. um, 
but I think there's pros and cons of growing up in a town like that because um, you, know, you learn some like small town respect. You know, everyone knows your business, so you you got to behave yourself and you got to have respect. Um, mm -hmm. But also, it's a pretty. It's also a country town, outback Australia, so uh, it could be rough at times. Especially, like I said, I had a darker skin than the other people there, so I used to get called chop wedge and licorice stick and. And, that, and I think that was in the time when um, people really didn't get offended. They didn't, I don't think people deemed that as racist now. It would be like clearly racist, but um, yeah. I didn't like it. So um, at the time, so I, 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 that's where I used, to, I used to get in a lot of fights and it was a pretty uh, basic but brash upbringing. But I, I wouldn't change it. I'm not complaining about it. It was just... Um, it's only bullying if you lose the fights, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, that's it. Like... That's it. Right. That's <laughs> I mean, growing up, growing up in Glasgow, growing up in Glasgow as a as a kid as well from mixed race background, I got quite a lot yeah. of you know packy this, packy that, and at the time it was just yeah. the way you dealt with it was it was a skill fight, and then you know that was that you just had it out there and then. But I mean nowadays you, 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 can't, you can't be calling people names like that. I mean it's uh, I wouldn't want my yeah. I wouldn't want my kids to go to go through stuff like that. So, but at the same time, it probably toughened you right up for your journey ahead. You know, it, you know, your, your upbringing really does kind of mould you for going into the tougher challenges ahead. It does. I mean, I, my kids come home from school sometimes, and they, you know, they complain about people calling them names, and I'm just like, mate, get on with it. Like, you know, you need to toughen up. There's a tough world out there, yeah. which is strange because, <laughs> in some ways, the world, um, you know, protects people. But then in the other way, it's really hard, the world that we're growing up in as well. There's a lot of um, stuff on the internet and cyber. So it's like we don't develop any resilience in our everyday life and we try and protect our kids. But then at some stage, they're going to be out there on their own. So I just tell them to get on with it. Like, you don't see me going down to the school um, on behalf of my kids. I just tell them to sort the problems out themselves. So. And I think that's... that's, maybe, that's get, maybe, maybe, get, maybe, get, maybe get the match out and a couple of couple of combinations <laughs> just so they're filled up <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i i can't really say that on i can't say i'm like encouraging violence on on um on your uh, on your podcast i'm not sure that's that's good <laughs> but uh, i've already been down to school a couple of times my youngest one's a little bit he's a bit fiery so i've got to keep an eye on him and, and try and teach him to uh lead with love and respect and not with his not with his fighting ability so uh it, it's it's different times but we all get by. I think oh, as long as we keep a smile on our face and it's all good. So I mean, you you left Australia. You went to you you went to Hong Kong. What age were you when you went to Hong Kong? Your dad uh, was an engineer, I believe. Got a job over in Hong Kong, mm -hmm. and uh, actually prior to that, when you were in Australia, it didn't sound like cricket was your was your first sport. Sounds like you were more of an Aussie. Yeah. Um, so I sort of had a, a funny upbringing, as in, well, um, my parents travelled around like from a young age. I was basically based in Hong in um, Melbourne and Ballarat, but there was a period between when I was about nine and ten and a half or something like that when I was in Hong Kong, and that's that's when I mm -hmm. first started playing cricket, really. Um, that's where me and my brother both 
started and learned to play cricket. Then the Nets in the Hong Kong Cricket Club, my dad would play there. There was one net and we used uh-huh. to just go into and practice and play all day. And that was, and I think that's probably like most kids. Um, I get a lot of um, the parents of my kids' friends who ask me, oh, what should I be doing? Should I be getting, they try and pay me money to go and coach their kids. And I said, the best thing you can do is when they're that age, you know, eight, nine, you know, 10, is just set some game up around around the house with the tennis ball and, mm-hmm. um, you know, outside the garage, if you've got a garage or something like that, and just, and just play that way. I think it's just, um, mm-hmm. I think we did a lot of that. And, um, and definitely those, we were fortunate that they had proper, proper nets and we had access to proper cricket balls and stuff like that when we were in Hong Kong. And that's probably where I first started liking the game and, and realizing that I might be okay at it. Mm-hmm. So you, you, what age were you then when you went or moved over to London? I was twelve, so I was about twelve and a half, something like that. Yeah, yeah twelve or just about to, yeah twelve, almost thirteen, I think I was. Mm-hmm. And when what was so, the cricket? What was the cricket like? What what did you start playing initially when you went over there, cricketing wise? Were you in any of the young so, counties set up or anything? Yeah, well, so funnily enough, I, I landed in England and I was, I was the big Aussie kid from um, over there. So it was strange because where I was um, in Ballarat, I was like the the dark kid in the in the school, and um, so then all of a sudden I landed, ended up at St George's College in Weybridge. So I've gone from outback Australia to like one of the like top private schools in in England. It was slight culture shock and I when I got there I heard all their accents they're all speaking you know very very well in Queen's English and I was like I thought I was on on the Truman Show I thought it was a comedy I didn't think no people could talk like that and they were so well yep. mannered and um and then I would have come across as pretty brash I think um yeah so um, I had to adjust to that um but straight away I was a big kid when I was 12 I was a lot bigger than the other kids um as in physically, like um, I was just, I was just um, developed early. My my son's the same. He's you know, he's big boy already. He's you know, just turned fourteen, mm-hmm. and eighty kilos. So he, he's and and just I just think the kids in our um, family develop early. So you know, I just had a physical advantage over the other kids when I got there. Uh, actually, mm-hmm. my first um, the first. I think I had two or three practice sessions and then they sent me for a Surrey under 12 trial. And okay. um, I went, I went there. It was, it was actually the trial was at the school that I was at, it was at St. George's. So I got sent there. I went down there and first day I went down there to the trial. The first day I went down there, I met, saw the most arrogant, um, talented, but arrogant, player with just the most equipment, he had amazing equipment and everything like that it was Mark Butcher, who Mark um, Butcher. I, I hated him, I went, who is this idiot? <laughs> um, but we, uh, he then became my best friend and I was the opposite, I literally, I think I bowled him bare feet that day. He, we, and, and he had his dad who had played for England, he had his dad's equipment, I think he was wearing sunglasses. I was like, this guy's the biggest wanker I've ever, I've ever come across in my life. <laughs> But um, we've since gone, got Ben come on, and he's probably my 
one of my best friends in the world. So um, completely opposite up, upbringings, but um, it was amazing how we hit it off and, um, and we're friends till this day. It's amazing, really. So it's like, like almost 40 years ago. So incredible. Some, uh, yeah. when, you, when, you, when you think about it, when you look back at these things and you think about where it all started from and how, how long you've known somebody, it's quite, it's uh, quite amazing. So you, were you an all-rounder from the start? Were you... A, you know, you were, you were, what, what was your, what was your forte when you were kind of coming into cricket? That's amazing you should mention that because today um, I was training with the Queensland team and they were just asking me about my bowling and stuff like that. And I was like, when I was young, I was just an out and out fast bowler. I used to bat 11 and field fine leg. Um, mm -hmm. Didn't have any aspirations to do anything other than run up and bowl fast. I wanted to be mm -hmm. the fastest bowler in the world. And I think when I was about 12 or 13, I think I was the fastest 12 or 13 year old who's ever lived. That's just purely because of my size and strength. Um, yeah. So, um, but then it all went wrong and everybody else started growing up more than me, taller. And, and I had a couple of injuries as well. So um, along the way, I learned that I needed to bat um, fielding. I, I became a specialist um, fieldsman and, and just the whole while, I think, Probably the feature of my cricket was probably the fact that I never, I kept trying to develop every weakness that I had. I think that was probably, I wasn't the most talented player. I wasn't the fastest. I wasn't the, the best or the most skillful. But I think I was pretty, um, I just always worked on my weaknesses. So I never was a captain as a young kid. I never fielded in the slips. I was always, uh, I, never bat I never batted, but then as I went along, I sort of carried on working on all my weaknesses. And by the end, I wasn't particularly amazing at anything, but I didn't really have any weaknesses either. So that's kind of yeah, like you could, what I Yeah, I mean, my memory of, of watching you as, a, as an ODI cricketer was you, were, you could do about everything. I mean, you, you, could, you could take a great catch, you could, you know, bowl a nice slower ball or, or actually... Bowl a rapid bouncer to Michael Bevan. I actually just seen that the other day on uh, on it just popped up on I think it was on Twitter or something. Um, you know we, we can get on to talk about that, but you know you had about everything in you. You could you could try you could try different things out. So you you, you did you play in the club? Did you play in the leagues in London at that point as you were coming through as a as a youngster uh, making your way in the Surrey junior setup? Were you also playing club cricket? Yeah, I played for a club called Send. Um, and I purely played for them because they were the closest club to, like, geographically the closest place to where I lived for no other reason than that. It was just around the corner from where I lived, and it was probably the worst ground in Surrey. I think it was actually some rich bloke's back garden. Um, I mean, it was beautiful, don't get me wrong, but there was no love or affection for the facilities. It was a basic yeah. clubhouse, but we produced... I'll give you the list of people we produced in there. You don't know. I'm lying. Yeah. So we had um, me, my brother, uh, Ian Ward. Um, Ian Ward. So there's, and then we had another guy called Judy Rathwete who played for Sri Lanka. Uh, and then we had Gregor McMillan. We got Gregor McMillan who played for Leicester. Matthew Church who mm -hmm. played for Worcester, Gloucester. Um, and then we always had a couple of overseas players. So we went from the fourth division of the Surrey League and I think to the first division within the space of about three years. Um, so we just won each league each year. And then we yep. all turned professional 
and I, th- I think the last I heard they were back down in fourth division. <laughs> but it's um, oh yeah. So once you once you once you moved on to higher honours, unfortunately the club slipped slipped back down the back down to the bottom of the food chain there. Four years. Yeah. So are they, are they, are they still in existence? Yeah, the club's there. We had to merge with someone else because I think that guy sold his house at the um, the, the cricket ground was in the backyard. So, or he didn't want it to cricket to club being there anymore. So it's now amalgamated with another club. Actually, they've been going through some hard times with Corona, so I've been trying to help them with some fundraising to keep them keep them going because you know they were the, that was my first club. I've only ever played mm-hmm. that one club. That was it. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and the same, I played with one club in Perth. Uh, so I've only ever been a sort of one club place. So, um, well, you're very similar in your whole career. You're very similar in your whole career because 1989, you signed for the famous Surrey uh, County Cricket Club. Proud moment for, for you and your family. Yeah, it was. Um, we needed it because my study wasn't going any good. So I needed, otherwise, I was going to be. <laughs> either unemployed or in jail, I reckon. So um, needed something to come good. I was actually a really um, successful rugby player. Uh, I actually, I think I preferred rugby to, to cricket, but rugby at that stage wasn't professional. And it would have involved mm-hmm. me having to go to university to carry on. So I was quite grateful to get offered the contract. So mm-hmm. get, me, get me out of having to study anymore. Yeah. So who, who was in the squad? I mean... You know, you, Surrey, probably one of the most successful. Growing up, watching on, you know, there was Warwickshire, there was Surrey. You know, unbelievable, unbelievable squads. I mean, just to name a couple of your your teammates, Alex Stewart, Graham Thorpe, Ali Brown, Mark Ramprakash, Mark Butcher, Alex Tudor. Um, all test, all test players. I mean, that's just a few I've named there. There's, there's, probably, there's probably a couple more. There was your, uh, your brother as well. Who, who went your late brother Ben, who went on to play for England as well. I mean, what a squad to be part of. What was it? What was it like early days at Surrey? Well, early days it was it was bizarre. I was just um, like some young kid with a fiery young kid, um, and I was around these legends. Um, probably like every young professional, I didn't really deserve to be there, so I had to earn my respect and just I just mm-hmm. got my head down, laid low, and just worked hard. Uh, Mark Butcher, we like we both got signed after going to that same under twelve trial together. We both got signed yep. the same year. Um, mm-hmm. He was kind of he was kind of the favourite. He was the favourite son because you know his dad had played for Surrey and yeah, he, was right. always, he was and I was like the ugly duckling, you know what I mean? Like, I, I had to work my way through, but uh, they loved him from day one, and I was always sort of just riding on his coattails trying to trying to tell everyone else that he was my mate, so hopefully the people would like me. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was it was funny. Like, we just kept to ourselves. It was a big seniority thing in those days. Um, they had two separate change rooms. There was the first team change room, second team change room. And, um, so it was very much speak when you're spoken to. Um, mm-hmm. And and it was, it was, I mean, don't get me wrong, it was... It was it was great. It was, we were always um, aware that we were in a fortunate position and in the back of my head, I always knew that if I wasn't doing that, that things would be hard for me. So um, I, was all, I think we were both very grateful for, for the opportunity, but there were some amazing players. I think at one stage, 
I think it was about in 1996 or something like that, we had 14 international players in our squad. Right. So, I mean, three people who played for their country had to miss out playing for Surrey, which was, you know, so I mean, playing in Surrey. Yeah, Surrey. that's what I mean. Look at, looking at the team, there would have been days where there was selection discussions even at Surrey, and you're talking about guys that are playing for England. That's just, it's just nuts. You wouldn't think that well, would be possible, one. but the batting lineup, the batting lineup was pretty much half of England's top order. Well, there was one stage where we had Stuart, Thorpe, Ramprakash, Butcher, myself, my brother, um, Ali Brown. And I think Mark Butcher was the England opener at the time and he missed out. He didn't, he didn't get picked because he was bowling at the time. And he so that means he was in the England team, but he wasn't in the Surrey team. And there was times when I left myself out of the side. Um, so it was it was a hard squad, and uh, but everyone realised that we were fortunate to be a part of something great. So no one was mm -hmm. secure in their in their spot, and I think that sort of drove us on to be competitive and keep going every day. So um, yeah, it was a fantastic time and a good bunch of guys. You know, just we grew up together. A lot of us we sort of came through the Surrey rank so we're all sort of born within four or five years of each other so um, and then i think alex Tudor and my brother were a bit younger but um it was it was a pretty amazing period of time well you went on um major first class debut in 1993 and you were actually awarded your county cap in 1995 when you had a bit of a standout season, you scored 1,099 runs and you took 21 wickets. Is that a season you recall well? Um, I don't remember that one so well. Um, I think I remember 1996 is probably my standout season when that's the one that, that sort of where I finally started to. I feel I earned my my respect that year. Um, well, you started sharing. You started sharing the captaincy that year as well with Alex Stewart. So you must have been getting quite highly regarded at that point. Well, I think at that stage I started sharing the captaincy because everyone else had had a go at it and been terrible. So because Alec was away <laughs> half the time, Alec was Alec was the captain, yeah. and then he went away. And then I think Martin Bicknell had a go at it, and he was horrible at it because he was concentrating on his bowling. And then Tony Pigott, he he had a go. At it. He was horrible. Thorpe. Wasn't interested. He was just interested in batting. Um, so a few people had to go, and and then one day they came to me and they um, they said, "We want to know if you'd be interested in captaining." And I thought someone was standing behind me because I, I'd never been asked to be captain of any team. I was always the rebellious one who was getting in trouble. So that was my first taste of captaincy, and I wasn't even sure how it was going to go. So. Um, I was fortunate. I had, I had a really good. I was good friends with all the players, and uh, I had a hard work ethic. So I just went into it and just said, "Hey, I wasn't too arrogant about it. I didn't think just because I was made captain that I knew everything. I was like, you know, you guys are better players than me. Um, but I've been asked for the job. But I'm the youngest guy here, so I just need your help. So." Um, mm -hmm. That's how it started out early days, and then I grew into the job, and uh, eventually started to become not too bad at it. So um, no, you went on. I, I mean, your skills you, developed along the way. 
you became a, I mean, you say you say that kind of in a humble manner, but your your leadership skills were one of your main attributes in your in your career. You went on to to lead Surrey properly in '97, so there was no more shared captaincy. Um, you led from '97 until 2003, um, which included quite a few championship titles: '99, 2000, 2010. You actually led Surrey to nine trophies in your your time as captaincy. That must be something you're you're bloody proud about. I mean, that's 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 incredible, incredible numbers. It is. It's like, um, and like, again, I always get asked, like, what's the, you know, what's, what was the reason why, you know, you were able to captain that side to so many competitions? And I'm like, it's simple. Like, we had the best players. Um, a lot of people always try and make out that I had a, a terrible team and it was my captaincy that took them from, um, from a bunch of no ones to nine trophies in seven years. But that's, that's not how it was. Um, I had the best player, the best batsman, the best bowlers. I mean, that said, there's been a lot of sides who have had, you know, the good players, but they don't, they don't gel and they don't work. So we still we needed leadership. I'm not saying that my leadership doesn't matter, but um, you can't win things without those. I mean, it's not like I talk five bricklayers, um, a carpenter, and a and a nurse, and, and we and captained us to nine trophies in seven years. It was like, that would, yeah. that would be pretty Well, just one something I want to touch on, being from a Pakistani background as well, you had some of the, some of the best of the best talent at Surrey from, uh, from Pakistan. I mean, did you, would you, you will have played with Wakar Yunus, Saklin Mushtaq, Azar Mahmood. What were these guys like to have around? I mean, serious, serious ticketers. Well, I mean, I think two of those guys would, uh, two of the, I mean, two of them are the, are the greatest cricketers of all time. I mean, Wakai mm -hmm. Yunus, probably arguably part of the greatest new ball partnership in, um, in the history of the game. It was him and Wakai. Yeah. I mean, there, there hasn't been anyone better. There's been other people that you could argue were as good, but there's never been an opening partnership that's been better than those two. So, and when he came to us in 92 or whenever it was, 92, I think it was, he was bowling thunderbolts. He was, he was bowling yeah. thunderbolts. He was, he was, he was 19. No one had heard of him. He, we got told about him by Imran, uh, mm -hmm. Imran Khan. He said, hey, you should pick this guy up. At this stage, he was straight out of the villages. And, um, mm -hmm. he, he turned up the day he turned up. We were like, we got a good one here. This guy is so good. <laughs> uh, and, and he wasn't, and none of the other sides knew about him. And, and he was bowling like seriously fast. And, and then mm -hmm. I think the next year he came back and he had developed the reverse swing. Um, the amount of batsmen that were bold, clean bold, and had to be mm -hmm. like picked up off the floor. Because they'd in swing the mm -hmm. they'd ended up face down on the floor with their stumps blown away. It was it was ridiculous. So that was that was one amazing period um, with Pakistani. And then my favourite of all time is Saklane because um, he's also a very very probably one of my best friends ever. Um, yeah. He 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 reckons I'm his chauffeur. But the truth <laughs> of the matter is the truth of the matter is. He's the worst driver that has ever 
there's never been a worse driver. So the first day he drove me, I said, nah, mate, you will never drive as long as I'm in the car. So I drove everywhere. So he used to call me a yep. chauffeur. But um, that's not the truth. But um, he was, when he came there, and he had just invented the Doozera. So, um, mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, that's, it's common in the game now. Well, not common, but people can do it. Back then, mm -hmm. people were like, Nobody, yes. He was, a first, he was the first inventor. What the hell is this? Like, literally, yeah. grown men, seasoned professional players, just looking like fools. Um, yeah. It was probably... So those two things, Wackar first coming with his reverse swing and then Sack Lane with the Deucera was um, two remarkable periods of time just to be involved in. Yeah. I mean, when you've got two special guys, bowlers like that, they can win you matches, you know, single-handedly. Single so as, as a captain, you're pretty lucky to have that. You're, like you say, you, had, you were blessed with talent. You had so many options, batters, bowlers, all-rounders, you pretty much everything at Surrey. So, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a really successful period. And then you, you, you also got rewarded um, for your success in 96 when you made your England ODI debut against Pakistan, I believe, in, in two ODIs. That's right, yeah. Yeah, that was weird. What's your, what's your memory? Thought, well, my memories of that is that I, I kind of, I thought I might have a chance of playing for England in 95, but I didn't get picked. And then in 96, I, I, hadn't, I hadn't really paid too much attention to the fact that there was a series coming up. And then I had a, a phone call. I had a message on my phone saying that I'd been picked. Um, I didn't have mobile phone, but it was my hotel phone. I was like, in the old days, when the red dot, you know, yeah, like, oh, yeah. I've been told I've been picked to play for England. I was like, what England is there? Like a England A team? I was like, wow, I was straight into the England team. So, um, yeah, that was an amazing, amazing. So it was that was kind of like that starts in four or five days. So didn't really have much time to think about it. And the Pakistan side at that time was. They were all basically the ex Surrey team. So I was like, wow. Yeah. As, uh, as I was playing Sack Lane, um, they had an amazing side. Um, Said yeah. Anwar. Said Anwar. Said Anwar. I miss Sahel, Moen Khan. Um, so they were, they were an incredible side. Um, yeah. That was just great to be sharing the field with, with those guys. And what was the England team? What was your squad? Who, who were the kind of. The main boys at that point that you were, who were you playing with that was in the side in that, in that squad? So, Atherton was the captain. And then Alec, mm -hmm. I mean, so Alec and, and Graham were there. Graham Thorpe were there. So, so it was good to come into the side and and have some Surrey guys in there. Um, mm -hmm. and then, um, Nick Knight was the opener. I think he scored a couple of hundreds in that series. Um, but it was, um, yeah, it was a... It was a good series. I remember at that stage, my bowling wasn't particularly going that well in county cricket. Uh, and then I got, I, got, I got four for 20 on my debut, uh, and then four for 40 in my second game. Nice, and, nice. But, but I think there, there may have... Well, there was a suggestion that there may have been some match-fixing involved. <laughs> so, uh, All right, okay. I was, like, I was thinking... I was walking around thinking, wow, I've just got eight wickets in two games, my first two games for England. But then yep. that sort of got 
dampened when people were all my Surrey teammates were keen to remind me that those guys probably got paid to get out to me. So. Oh, I said that nothing. If it wasn't proven in a court, then I said the your wickets, mate. Take take those two balls for. Exactly, you got to be there, haven't you? <laughs> that's it. That's it. You then went on, um, and this much this this is going to be probably your probably the proudest moments in your your whole cricket career. You made your Test debut. Um, you actually made your Test debut alongside your late brother Ben Holyoke. Um, you had a good test. You had a decent test. You scored uh, 45 runs in the first innings um, against the Aussies, and you also took a couple of wickets. What? A, what? A, I mean, that that phone call and taking the field with your with your late brother. How? You know, that must be something that you cherish for you'll cherish for as long as you live. It's weird because we in that earlier in that summer we played against Australia in the one days, and we beat them three nil. And I got man of the series. My brother got man of the match, and Everything was like, I think at that stage, I had a batting average for England of like 120 and a bowling average of about six. So nice. for me, international cricket, I should have retired then. Um, <laughs> it was, it was, um, cricket was, it was going really well. My brother just played his, his first game for England and, and he got 60. Mm -hmm. and so I think, remember, we just thought it was just a matter of time before we were going to make our debuts and, and I, when I look back on it I was like I don't think we really appreciated the moment I think we just it just it was sort of all happening at that stage because the, the one day series was earlier in the summer and then off the back of that we had everything happening in the summer we were asked to go here and singing on stage with Elton John and really partying with Robbie Williams it was just like it was a crazy kind of time in life and yep. um, and then when we made our debut, it was kind of like, oh, this is just part of the circus. It didn't. But I think now when I look back, I look back and I go, wow, that, that really was something to cherish. And someone said, I think it was another podcast I did the other day that said that we might have been the only brothers to um, make our debuts together in that century. I think some guys did it in the 1800s or something. But... Um, I'm not sure. I can't remember. Or well, we might have been the last brothers to make out, or the only brothers to debut together. I can't yep. remember. There was something which I remember going, "Wow, that's at the time that was lost on us." We were just like a couple of young. What an ama amazing though, mate! Like the two boys from Ballarat, you know, playing two brothers mm -hmm. taking the field for England Test team. What a story! I mean, you've yeah. you probably when you were growing up, you know, you wouldn't have thought that. That, but you're right. At the time when these things happen, you don't appreciate them. You're probably sitting there now, just you know, thinking, you know, that's one of the special, special times in life. How was the? How was what was the memory of the game? You, I mean, like I said, you've done, you've done well. You, you had a decent, decent outing in your first test. Um, yeah, I, I remember it because it was a pretty um, fierce battle. Every time I played against Australia, there was always a pretty fierce battle. Um, they loved reminding me that I was originally from Australia. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And I just liked having fights with people. So it was um, it was always good fun playing against them. Um, they're competitive. Mm -hmm. And also they were the best players in the world. So, um, But I just, I, I've always loved the way the Australians play the game. They play hard, but hard but fair. And, mm -hmm. um, and I just think that um, me and my brother sort of thrived in those 
in those conditions. Then they, as mm-hmm. a, after those games, they I think after the first innings, they said they they got around and they said don't don't sledge him anymore. Don't yeah. Don't give. Let's try and take away my the energy that I gain from it. Um, I haven't mm-hmm. got the, the best concentration, so they decided to just leave me on my own, and, and eventually my concentration would break, which it, which it does. But all yeah. the while they were pledging me, it was keeping me engaged and keeping me um, and concentrating and and kept me interested in the game. So. After that, when they stopped sledging me, it just felt wrong. <laughs> I wasn't comfortable at all. I'm not used to that. I've been sledged since yep. I was in Bangkok. I've been sledged by Australians since I was nine. So um, yep. I, it just felt weird. It felt wrong. <laughs> but, 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 but good, you know, good spot by them, though, because they obviously seen that if we give them a bit, you were ready to give a bit back, and that was bringing the best out of you. So, you know, they've quickly read it. Just shows the way conversations probably happen in the changing room between the top players and just say, you know, Let's just leave that guy to leave that guy be. And you sound like you got a bit, a bit confused and bored almost at the wicket, thinking, "What's going on here? I want to fight." You know, that's that's why. Obviously, we'll come on to talk about that later. You were suited for maybe another career later down the line. Anyway, you sounded like you always liked a wee tussle. Talking to you from the young age, you looked like you liked uh you liked to get in a wee bit of a scrap here in there. So cricket maybe was, you know, it's good in some ways from the mental side of things, but you don't get to get that physical side of it out of you. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, looking back in hindsight, I'm not sure cricket was the the game that I was best suited to. But um, I've definitely my physical attributes. My physical attributes are definitely um, probably more suited to other games than, than cricket. Uh, like I said, I was probably a better rugby player and and fighter from at a young age, but. Um, like I said, my parents banned me from fighting, um, and um, and rugby wasn't professional, so it was the, it was the best of uh, my options to get well, me out listen, of study. For, for, for for a guy that yeah chose cricket because didn't want to go to uni, chose it as kind of was probably his second or third preferred sport. You did all right, mate, because then after that test, I mean, you you had a short test career, you know, four four test matches. Do you think there's any reason behind that? Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I get asked this a lot of times. Um, people say, you know, um, you know, you, you should have played a lot more. I'm like, well, maybe, maybe not. There's been there's been a hell of a there's been better players than me who haven't played at all. So um, you know, sometimes you just got to be grateful. Um, you know, I was a, a kid from Ballarat who ended up captain in England, but. Uh, I've done, um, uh, if I, you can you can be greedy, can't you? You can look back and say, "Yeah, no, absolutely." I've played more, but hey, you know, I, I came up against the odds, and um, you know, I was fortunate to to even play at all because, like I said, there's been other players who, you know, you look at someone like Barry Richards, he only played four tests, so there's um, there's condition there's a guy a guy, a guy i had on the pod, a guy i had on in the podcast next coach of mine actually andy moles very unlucky not to play for england incredible player incredible player and a lovely man too um so he um yeah he, he's a guy who could have played actually i think he, he might at least one, one of my early games he scored 200 against us um at guildford so uh, he was a he was a wonderful player mm-hmm. yeah, everybody so, I, mean, I talked to a big one. I said everybody I've talked to, all his peers, yourself, 
um, Gavin Hamilton, Dougie Brown, who I recently had on, everybody says, talks about Andy Moles, they just say, oh, solid player, solid player. Like, sounds like he was just the perfect, perfect opener. Well, he was. I, I remember, actually, there's not many times when you feel like you learn about the game whilst you're actually playing. But we played in a, against Warwickshire on a wicket that just started shooting along the floor. Um, started like, going, like, really, the wicket ball started staying low. And I was like, how do you score runs on this? I think I got out LBW in the first innings, one that stayed low. And then he came out in the second innings and he batted on leg stump, kept his pads out of the way, and um, he got 200 and won the game for them. And I remember mm-hmm. going, I just remember going, wow, that's incredible problem solving to, he changed his technique to suit the wicket. And um, I remember like looking at that with a lot of respect. And then I think I played against him for only about three or four more years and he had a little bit of success. And I, I think I, I didn't like him when we were playing against, I didn't like anyone when I played against him to be honest. Um, but I didn't like him. Um, yeah. And I like I pretty much, pretty, pretty sure I sledged him the whole time we played against him. And then I was um, fortunate enough to be in Afghanistan three or four years ago, something like that, um, mm-hmm. or two years ago. And he was one of the coaches out there. And I got talking to him, and I was like, "Wow, what a what a an amazing guy!" Like, um, it's amazing you can play against people and you don't like them because you're competing against them and that in itself is all the invitation I need to not like somebody mm-hmm. and um, but then when you actually get to know those people off the pitch they're like incredible guy and then I've just been seeing his story recently where he lost his leg and how positive he is and I wrote to him just the other day actually I said um, I know and I know this it was a private message I wrote to him I said hey I saw you lost your leg. I'm um, you know, really sorry about that. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, it looks like you've taken a positive approach to it. He said, oh, mate, he goes, it is what it is. Um, and then I said, oh, what have you been doing during Corona? He goes, oh, I'm in Cape Town at the moment. I'm staying here. And I said, oh, well, there's worse places to be. He said, yeah, he goes, I'm blessed. I was just, I'm just incredibly lucky. I was like, mm-hmm. wow, the guy's just lost his leg and... That's um, you know, that's a sort of measure. Yeah, no, he, he said the same. He said the same thing on the podcast with me. He, he, I was amazed. You know, you'd be, you'd think he'd be feeling sorry for himself, or you know, it's it's a big reason to feel sorry for yourself. You've you've you've, you've lost 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 a leg, and 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 Moller was just like, there's people dying out there from coronavirus. There's people. I mean, what's? I'm fine. I'm okay. I've got. I've got. I've, I've got my prosthetic leg and I'm I'm working things out and I'm 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 plodding along and it was just inspiring to see somebody speak like that. Okay. So, you know, it's it's good that you both were able to, to like each other down down the line, even though look, it's like that. It's when you play against people, there's so, there's so many people. I used to play a lot of cricket against Ireland and I hated them. I used to just dislike yeah. them so much. And now I get now I get on and, and, and chat away with all, you know as many as possible. Good they're, they're good lads. Big, another big proud moment. Came for you a little bit down down the line. You you led England um, into the the Sharjah Cup. Now that must have been that was a that was a that was another big proud moment for you. And you obviously you led them to to winning the Sharjah Cup. How 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 did the captaincy come about? And you know how do you feel leading the team into the Sharjah Cup? Um, 
It was an interesting one because um, we sort of took a half a half an England team out there, but that team, um, I was fortunate enough the winter before in '96, I captained the England Lions out here to Australia, um, and quite a few of that side got picked in that in that in that um, that Charger Cup, out there, the Charger yeah. Cup, and. Um, and we so we got sent there, and I think the media didn't even come. They didn't cover it. No one was interested. No one gave us a chance. We were playing Pakistan, India, and the West Indies in those um, in those in those conditions. Um, mm. In no side is expected to win. And I think before the last year's World Cup, I don't think England had won a major fifty-over competition involving more than two teams for abroad. Mm -hmm. In, in the history of the game, so um, <laughs> we were sent there, and we were no one, even, none of the media even talked to us. It was like um, no one gave us a shot, and uh, I always say there's there's nothing more dangerous than a man with nothing to lose. So yeah. we went. I just went out there, and we just played, and we were just a bunch of um, guys who just went out and had a crack. We didn't, we weren't worried about losing. We had no fear. And we just enjoyed one another's company and we just went out. I think it helped that a lot of those other sides, they hadn't seen us play before. So we were able to hit them. We had one-off games against each side. And then we played um, the West Indies in the final. So by that stage, they were still trying to work out. that We'd seen all those guys. We were playing against Brian Lara and Carl Hooper and Sachin Tendulkar. So we'd seen those guys. We'd been watching those guys on our TV for 10 years. Mm -hmm. So we mm -hmm. had we had plans for them. Um, yeah, we had, we had tricks up our sleeve for them, and um, and we set some traps for them. And like, let's see how you guys deal with that. So um, we 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 gave them things, and they had nothing for us because they didn't know anything about us. We were no ones. Um, I think it would have been harder if we'd played a longer tournament, then they would have started to you know they're international players, um, incredible players. Mm -hmm. They adapt. The surroundings so but we hit them on the we hit them on we caught them on the on the bounce they weren't ready for it they didn't they weren't they didn't raid us they didn't they weren't prepared for it so um we just came out aggressively and, and we'd hit it we'd hit and run we'd hit and taken the trophy before they knew what had happened so um there's good memories but you know, it's, that, you know it's interesting you, you talked about your captaincy at Surrey and you were obviously blessed with a star-studded, pretty much England team at times. And you said that you know my leadership was you know I didn't it wasn't like I had the, I had the best of the best, so it was a really enjoyable time to. But going into the Sharjah Cup as a captain leading a team that were very much underdogs, you were obviously in a totally different, different kind of different kind of options that you you never had at Surrey. Did that test your leadership skills? That was a really. You think your leadership skills were really must be really important out there. Yeah, uh, they they did. Um, I think all that I did when I captained England, which probably the one thing which I did was I just tried to take away the fear of failure. I should say, just go out and have a crack. If we lose, we lose. Who cares? Like, mm -hmm. We just have to go. So I think a lot of England sides, which we've seen, especially in the nineties, every side went out there. And they were, everyone was playing for their place and they were playing with nerves and they weren't playing for their potential. So I said, just go out and have a crack. Like, I don't care. If we lose, we lose. Everyone's expecting us to lose anyway. So what are we worried about? Yeah. 
right? So yeah. I think that that piece, that part of the captaincy was probably like that. I'll, I'll give myself a pat on the back for that, but um, it's um, it's still you still need to have people who buy into it, and they were they weren't they weren't mugs those triggers. They're still very good cricketers. I think I think mm -hmm. also the other side not knowing anything about us and us hitting them with tactics, hit and run tactics were <clears throat> worked. So um, yeah, fortunate. No, brilliant, brilliant. You know, so after you know, quite quite an illustrious career, um, you you decided after playing 173 first class matches for Surrey. You retired in uh, in two thousand and two thousand and four. Um, you scored nine thousand three hundred and seventy six first class runs. Uh, you took one hundred and twenty first class wickets, thirty two ODI wickets. Um, but after that, three years later, you decided to make a comeback. And uh, I noticed you played you played eight T twenty games for Essex. What, what? How did how did that how how did that all come about? I mean, you hung the boots up three years out of the game. And then you're back on T20. I don't know. That was oh, I don't know that was going on there. It was um, so what happened? I played in some beach cricket out here, and Graham Gooch was the captain of the English side, and and we um, we did really well. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, I I did particularly well. It was beach cricket, you know. I mean, yeah. Gucci somehow thought that I could, he offered me a contract with Essex, so um, yeah, I. At that stage, T20 was starting to take off. And I think in 2004, I'd been in 2003 and 2004, the first years of the T20, I'd, I'd done all right. I'd done pretty well. So, yep. uh, so I think Gucci thought that they could bring me back. And I was fit, you know, I was, I hadn't lost any fitness. I still only, I still was only 33 or 34, so I was still young. But, uh, so why did you, yeah, so you retired quite, you retired quite young then? You're actually, yeah, I was 30. Uh, uh, 32, yeah. Um, why, 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 what, what was there any reason behind that? Yeah, I think it was stupid in hindsight. Um, I think what happened was, I think it wasn't something which I'd planned or anything like that. It was just, I got to the stage where, um, well, I'm sorry, I, but, but I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry also, sorry but, uh, to interrupt you. I'm, I'm, I was going to come on to it, but obviously you, your late brother passed away um, in a car accident in, in 2002. Um, I mean, would that, would that have had any, any, anything towards your decision? Yeah, definitely. So I was going to say there was a whole bunch of um, scenarios which sort of, I'd never planned it, but then all of a sudden there was probably four things pointed towards, oh, I probably should retire here. Um, my brother died, I wasn't loving the game as much as I used to. Um, every every day that I played was like a reminder that he wasn't there because obviously we played together. He'd feel gully, I was a second clip. Uh, I'd throw the ball to him probably 300 times a day and, and then all of a sudden he wasn't there. I was earning financially, I was, I was, like, I was doing well because I had a, a set myself up away from cricket pretty well um, with mm -hmm. a property development company um, so I didn't need to financially play at the time my wife my ex-wife was 
She was from Australia. My family were back in Australia and they were dealing with um, with my brother's death. So um, all of a sudden I was like, well, it would make sense to just retire and go back and be with my family and support them. And I don't need to do anything. I didn't need any more money. I didn't need, um, I didn't feel like I needed any more uh, I didn't need my ego to be stroked anymore. I felt like I'd achieved enough. Um, ego, I, I, I'd, I'd done enough ego stroking of my own. I probably didn't need to, to, to feel that anymore. So it just kind of just all of a sudden, just everything pointed towards and it just felt, it felt like the right thing at the time. I was probably only retired about a year and I thought, I actually really miss it. I wish I could go back. Um, and I probably should have. But um, I didn't, and um, probably in hindsight, I reckon I went too early. I was 31, so I was still fit and healthy, and I was just coming into the peak of my career. So um, that's what it is. It is what it yeah, is. Yeah, I, I can, I can understand. You, you can only make the decision with what's right at the time. When I look back now, it seems like the wrong decision, but... I can't remember exactly what I was feeling at the time. So all I remember feeling at the time was thinking it was the right decision. So, yeah. Well, look, I, I mean, I, I mentioned this to you uh, before we came on. I, I lost a younger brother. He was a lot younger than, than, uh, than your brother, Ben. He passed away when he was five and a half years old. He had a life-shortening illness. So I've experienced, you know, the effect that it has on a, on a family, on my parents. Um, you know, how, how is that, you know, for you, like you say, your brother fielded at Gully. You, you threw the ball to him hundreds of times in a day's play. You played all your cricket together. You probably partied together. You did, you know, did so many things. So many things in life together. How have you been able to? You know, you must have had a good couple. couple of, I mean, it never goes away, Adam. I mean, you're always going to you're always going to miss miss your brother. But how 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 has it affected you in your life and like your family? How? How, 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 have you, how have you coped with it? Um, it's, it's hard. Um, I'm not going to pretend that like, I'm over it or anything like that, but um, I think you've got to grow, haven't you? You've got, to, you've got to, like we were talking about before, I mean, it's not just a case of toughen up. It's not that. You just, I think you grow emotionally and you, you learn to um, try and live life in the present. I mean, it's easy, it's, you know, we want to look back at the past a lot. And if you come to my house, there's there's nothing here in my house to suggest that I ever played cricket for England or um, I don't have any memorabilia around. I don't have any memories from the past ever up there because I try and live my life. I try and live in the present as much as I can. It's hard. Mm -hmm. I'm not... I'm not, I'm not talk, I'm talking like I'm Yoda here, but I'm, I'm far from it. I'm just, I'm trying to, um, I'm just trying to be present if I can. And, and I think now the only way I've been able to get past the sort of that sinking feeling that you get that you'll know about is, um, mm -hmm. is I, I, and, and I said, I, I, again, like, I'm not an expert in every situation because every situation is different. But um, mm -hmm. everyone, a lot of people say to me, oh, you know, your brother, um, he was, you know, only 24 and he had his whole career ahead of him and he 
hadn't been married, he hadn't had kids and all those things. Um, so a lot of people focus on that. But then I think when I was able to sort of let that go and, and just focus on the good times that we did have and just appreciate those and say, hey, how lucky was I to have even met him? Let yeah. alone live together and go to boarding school together and play cricket for England together and all these memories that I've got. Um, it's it's the Andy Moles syndrome. You would, you, you, would, you would take that you would you would take them mate over not over not having them any day, any day. Ever I, mean, I, had five, yeah. I had five and a half short years with my with my brother. I will cherish them for the rest of, the rest of my life. Um, yeah. But you know, twenty four years you would not the probably the best years best years of your life. Um, you, mm. and what makes me what really makes me sad in this day and age is I've got lots of mates and they're always falling out with their brother and sister. And they're always getting, and they don't talk for for so long, and it really, really eats at me because yeah. I would do anything to see my brother again, uh, as as I'm sure as I'm sure you would. So you know, I want to encourage yeah. any siblings out there that that do it. Life's too short. You don't know what's around the corner. Don't don't take it for granted. It's amazing that you say that because I say the same thing to my kids. One of the things that makes me proud is watching. Uh, you're right. You see brother siblings falling out all the time, and. I think something that makes me proud is watching my kids um, from a really, really young age. Like I'm talking about from when they were like five, six, seven. I don't even need to say it anymore. I would say to them, hey, just be nice to each other and be loving to one another because you don't know they can be taken away from you at any moment. And then I'd tell them the story about yeah. my brother. They're probably like, oh my God, yeah. this, guy, this guy's the most the worst dad in the world like telling us these sad stories but then they now they um they they, they stick up for one another of course they they bicker at times of course they yeah yeah, yeah. Adults do it, so but they i'm really proud that they, they they you know they care and they don't they don't have weeks or months where they don't talk to each other so um mm -hmm. it, it's a, that's a really good point you make actually no, look, um, it was a very sad time for, for the cricket and, cricket and world and cricket. I mean, Ben was, like you say, larger than life. He was, he was tipped to just go on and, and achieve so many things. But you know what? Amazing, uh, amazing, amazing, amazing young man. And, uh, you know, I've always, I've always thought about you and your family because I've experienced loss of a brother. And it's so I, when I contacted you, I feel like I've, you know, got that, 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 that to share with you because, I mean, it's, it's, part, of, it's part of life. It's part of life. Loss, uh, you know, loss happens to people in all shape, all shapes and forms. But it's good to see that you, 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 you went on, and okay, you left cricket, which is a big decision for you to do. You went back and played a little bit of cricket again, but you, you went on to do some amazing things. I mean, I want to touch on your, um, your charity stuff that I think seemed to be you, you, you got involved because of. You know the way I read about it to do with what you know you lost your brother and I think you wanted to do something something good and you got involved with the Chase um, Hospice Children's Hospice. Um, you undertook a challenge, right? If you can correct me if I'm wrong here, if any of this is wrong, but you, you undertook a challenge where you walked from Edinburgh, then you sailed the English Channel from Brighton to Deepit. Deep. I don't even know how to pronounce, yeah, how you yeah. pronounce that. Uh, yeah, and then you rode from there to Gibraltar 
Um, you finally ended up in Tangiers, and the journey took you over two months. And, and, and from what came out of that was you raised hundreds of thousands of pounds for the, for the charity. That's got to be one of the pr most proudest moments in your life. You know, you played test cricket, but doing something like that must have been amazing. Yeah, and it's an interesting story, and it sort of comes back to what you were saying about your brother before. Um, so it came about because um, every year I'd go down to Guildford to we Surrey play. We play a couple of games down in Guildford every year, and there was this old gentleman. His name was John Hastings, and he was a patron of this charity called Chase, which is for ch children with terminal illnesses who aren't going to make adulthood. Um, yeah. And every year, he's a, he's a nice old guy. He'd come and he'd speak to me. And, and hey, I was sort of alluded to the fact that I wasn't the best guy when I was young. I was I had a big ego and um, just there trying to, um, I don't know, just um, for my own fulfillment and like my own on my own journey i wasn't really thinking about other people too much and every year i'd go to guildford he'd say hey will you um come and be and help out with our charity and i was like yeah yeah hey i'm i'm pretty busy you know like, i'm an important guy i'm captain of england and what do you want i'll sign a shirt i'll sign a photo for you like he wanted me to get involved with the charity so i was mm -hmm. like oh, i have I haven't got time for that. I'm just too busy. Captain of Surrey, Captain England, all right. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm embarrassed when I look back on it. But, um, that's, that's what I was at that stage. That's, I, I was, you know, I wasn't a well-rounded person. And, um, and then he, he kept coming every year, same time. I'd see the guy at the same part of the ground every time. Anyway, um, I don't know, my brother died and, and I was down there and I was at Guildford and he came to me and, he came there and he, you know, he was like really polite about my brother and he said, you know, um, and he didn't ask me, he was just there to pay his respects. Mm -hmm. So then I know just something made me say, Hey, what's going on with the charity? And I don't know what it was. I don't know why I asked that day. And, um, he said, Oh, you know, we're doing this. We're having a, a gathering for all the patrons of chase and we're going to try and raise money to build a hospice. And I said, mm -hmm. Hey, uh, I'd like to come along. Um, mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know why I said that, but I, I went along. And I remember sitting there and um, and there was all, everyone in that room, they were all parents and their kids were either dying or they'd lost their kids already to terminal illness. Mm -hmm. And I was looking around and I was like, these guys are, these guys have lost their kids. And here mm. I am, like feeling sorry for myself. Like uh, these people have lost their their own kids. You know, mm -hmm. I, I've got to grow up. I've got to like, I've got to, I've got to try and do something here. So it was, um, I don't know, four or five hundred people in the room, and and I was sort of caught up in the the whole whole thing. And I said, "Give me the mic." <laughs> Give me the mic. So I went up, I went up and spoke. And I said, um, they're like, you know, they were like, oh, you know, England cricket captain. And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk a marathon a day for a month. So they were like, oh, everybody was cheering. And then I was yeah. like, and then when I get to Brighton, I'm gonna sail across the channel. Everyone was like, ah. Oh. Yeah. And, 
I'm going to ride through Europe all the way down to Gibraltar. So, so, see, these, so see, that, see the actual idea? Was it just you that made, you just decided this is what I'm going to do? That was your decision? I've made it up. I'm the, I had the microphone <laughs> in my hand. It was like, and my, ego was, <laughs> my ego was running away. So then they said, when we get to Gibraltar, we're going to row across to Africa. And then everyone was like, ah. Oh. And then I was like, better stop there. I don't know. I don't, I don't know, that sounds like, but I want to end up in the South Pole if we keep going. So we stopped and then I came off the stage and everyone was cheering me and patting me on the back. And then I had to ask someone, I said, is that even possible? I don't even know. If we, can we do that? And then I had to begin, you know, logistically planning it and trying to yep. make it worthwhile. So, um, yeah, we did a marathon a day for a month, walking. Um, and then sailed. So across. who did it? Who, how many people, how many people did it with you? Did you get some mates involved or? Yeah, there was some mates. Scott Welsh, who fought for the World Heavyweight title. Ian Sutcliffe, who played yeah. for Leicester. Yeah. Matt Church, who mm -hmm. played for Gloucester and Worcester. Um, mm -hmm. And my dad. Um, we, so we, we did it. Um, it took two months. It was like hell. But um, it was also probably one of the greatest things that uh, I've done and and those people they're not uh, that I did it with they're not like friends anymore they're like brothers so it's, yeah um, yeah incredible incredible thing I put it up there with anything that I've ever achieved and um, and I think after that I think I changed after that because like um as a person I think I just changed it was like I stopped I still got a big ego but um I stopped thinking just only about me and I started to become more aware of other people. Uh, I'm, hey, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm not, I'm, I'm certainly no angel. I'm not a saint, but um, I think it opened my eyes to other things outside of just me. So um, I don't know that, that sort of changed me a lot around that time. It was, inter it was interesting when I looked into that, it's called Chase Hospice. My little brother was part of a hospice called Chaz. Don't know if you've ever heard of that as well. So it's C-H-A-S. And it's pretty much the same thing. Um, they're, a, they're a hospice and they support children with, you know, life-shortening illnesses. But then they also support the families that have, that have lost um, lost the children. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm, I'm forever grateful for the support they gave me and my family. So I can imagine mm. that Chase are, very, are, doing, are doing very similar work in you. You don't think, until you actually see these situations, you don't think about them, do you? You don't, you don't right. until, and then what happened, happened to me and my family, it was a big, you know, big, big wake up. I'm so grateful for it. There's actually one story, one story from yeah, there was, uh, I went there and um, I took Eric Clapton down there one day, uh, who's now also a patron for the charity, and we went there, and Eric Clapton, he, he's a big deal, um, in my yeah. book anyway, he's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So we went down there, and um, I remember when we went in there, I said, if I wanted to try and get someone involved to try and help, I'd always take them to the hospice because you can't walk through there unless you have no heart. You can't yeah. help but be moved, or you can't help but want to try and do something. So I was like, I'll take Eric there. I'll take him and I'll show yeah. him around. So um, mm -hmm. I went around there, and then when i got there the ladies you know the, the nurses and that they're like oh, look, we're probably not gonna be able to get you around because there's a little 
kid who's probably gonna die like any time now and probably not the right place for you guys to be but we'll hustle you around and um so we walk around and um and then we're, we're like we're halfway around and there's one particular room where it's the best room in the whole hospice it's the yeah it's the you know the presidential suite of the hospice yeah. this is where they go when just when they get you know just before they pass away it's the best room the same, most comfortable. Same, 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 with my, same with my brother in the hospice he was in it was like the presidential but it's, it's it's got a temperature controller and everything in it as well so you can you can but you can spend time there but then you can actually leave the body there for a for a week my brother after he passed away stayed in that that suite for a day or so um, and family and friends could come and come and visit. But sorry to interrupt you, was it just made me think about that as well? Was that was that yeah. the same kind of same? Uh, yeah, it, it's, the, it's the same sort of thing. I think it's just the the idea is that um, you know it's the best room in the place, and obviously it's the, probably the toughest moments, and everything's just the best looking at. So yeah. I think they're trying to turn what's the worst moment into something more palatable. So um, anyway, when we're walking, me and Eric and the lady from the, we're walking um, through there, and the timing's like appalling. Um, the lady, a lady comes out of there, and um, and you know when they say someone looks straight through you, it was like yeah. I remember I was the captain of England. Um, and Eric Clapton is, is, I mean, I'm nothing compared to Eric Clapton. Eric Clapton's this, the great Eric Clapton. This lady came yep. out and she, she just like looked straight, she didn't care less, just looked straight through us. And then um, the ladies were with us said, hey, she, she just lost her son. Um, and I just remember, like, wow, it's like, it's just, there was just so many signs then. And, and ever from then, like I said, there's that period of time, there was so many, signs that I, I wanted to change and try and be a better person. Um, so, um, well, yeah, good for you, mate. Good for you. Look, oh, you need some, oh, sometimes you need these experiences in life. I beg your pardon? I said, sometimes these things need to happen. You, these things, you need to see them. You need to be around certain things for you to appreciate mm. how lucky you are or, you know, how blessed you are in your own life. I mean, there's poverty all around the world. There's, you know, so many things happening to diff different people around the world. It does, it does make you. But when I can understand when you're England captain, you know, I remember when I signed for the MCC Young Cricketers when I was 17 years old. And I came down to London and I was strutting about, thinking, you know, I was, I, I was the beast. Invincible, and, bulletproof. Yeah, you, yeah. You, but life, 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 hum life humbles you, and you, you experience your own situations and things you see in life. But no, I think. I think out of everything we've discussed so far, you know that that two months is was is a special special thing. Are you still still involved with the charity now? Do you still get take part in anything? Well, I did for five years. I, I dedicated five years to them. Every year I did something different. Um, the next year I did the we broke the world record for the hundred meter um, continuous relay. I think we had like five thousand people do. 100 meters and then the year after I ran the London Marathon in full cricket kit which was ridiculous uh, and and then I think I did something big every year for five years and then I said yeah. right, after that but then I when I came out here to Australia it became harder to 
be involved, but uh, I support a charity here. Did another five years supporting a charity here called Paradise Kids, which is again for children with life-limiting illnesses. So I supported them, and um, and so I, I kind of like I, I kind of try and stay involved in in stuff as much as I can. I'll be honest at the moment, I'm not doing a lot, but I want to try and. Um, when I'm, I'm busy. I mean, you've got you've got you've got three uh, uh, three kids, is it? Three kids. Yeah, so I'm sure they keep I'm sure they're keeping you pretty busy. Uh, right. I mean, before we came on, you were doing some taxiing. Actually, you were away getting the wee man back from work. So I can imagine they keep you keep you very busy now. Yeah, well, I'm a single dad too. So uh, and, I, and then I coach the Queensland cricket team, and I got two businesses yep. that I'm involved with as well. So. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm busy. I'm, I'm kept busy. Yeah. So, uh, I think I, I, it's something that I do want to get into back again. I want to try and, and do some stuff, and and mainly probably for, um, for selfish reasons because I think I, I do feel good about myself when I'm doing those things, and um, so there is an element of selfishness about it as well, where uh, it's not just. Yeah, self-satisfaction, self-satisfaction, but ultimately you're wanting your 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 satisfaction you're getting. You want it. You want to know that that's helping somebody. I don't think yeah. I don't think it's it's necessarily. If you were only doing it for yourself and it was only you that was benefiting from it, then I could say okay, then then that is really. But I, I think the fact that you know if you're going to do if you're going to go and do two months like you did, you're going to want to know at the back end of it that it's okay. helped. This you know. You know, it's, you're not going to do that. You're not going to do that just to just to know, right? Okay, I don't know what came out the back end of that. I killed myself for two months. I don't even know what we did. I'm not. I'm not just supporting the sports shoe companies because I went through about five pairs of trainers. <laughs> <I'm just saying. laughs> so, listen. The one thing I wanted, wanted another exciting thing. You know, 2012. You talked about your youth. You like getting a bit of a tussle. You like getting in a sledge here and there on the on the cricket field that kept you going, but you notched it up a bit. I mean, your parents might not have been, were maybe not so so impressed by this, considering they didn't want you to fight. But you you started initially with boxing. You had a boxing bout um, at light heavyweight, and you 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 you, you knocked the guy out in the fourth round. But again. Wait, was, was that planned or was that just a, a spur of the moment thing? Adam Hollyoaks is sitting one day and he decides, you know what, I'm going, I'm going down the boxing route. No, it's just one of those things. Like I think I, I sort of said before that my parents didn't want me going down. There. I'd done boxing since I was twelve, um, okay. so it's something that I, during the off seasons I used to box and mm-hmm. uh, I'd always be sparring with people who were, you know, like world champions. So that so it's something that mm-hmm. I've always. I don't know why. I just like. I just. I've always enjoyed it. Sometimes I wish I'd enjoyed golf. I just don't like golf, so it would be much less painful. But um, all the other guys would go off and play golf, and I'd go and, and spar and and do things. So um, yes, yeah. because when I finished, I was just here on the Gold Coast, and again, it's just one of those the timing things. I just I uh, broke my ankle. I couldn't run much. I was putting on a lot of weight. And um, I went down to this gym to do some wrestling because I couldn't stand on my feet that long. And then I turned, I'd been doing that for a while. And and the the guy, there was a striking coach. I turned up to the wrong time. And the striking coach, he was 
the boxing coach was there to teach the wrestlers some MMA. And I just, mm -hmm. he saw me doing it and he said, you've done this before, haven't you? And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, a little bit, yeah. So then he said, oh, why don't you come down and do some training with us? So I went down and did some training and there was a couple of um, Aussie Australian champions and they asked me to do some sparring. This minute I was training with those guys and, mm -hmm. and after a while, um, they offered me a professional fight. They said, would you be interested in fighting? The promoter wants to put me on there. Everybody wants yep. to see an English cricketer getting beaten up. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, they asked me if I was interested to fight. And at that stage, I'd just gone through a really hard time financially. I'd, whilst I'd made a lot of good decisions during my time as a mm -hmm. cricketer, I, I got caught up in the global financial crash and I lost everything. Um, mm -hmm. So they were offering me money to go and fight. So I thought, well, I could do with the money. So um, mm -hmm. I went and did it. I went and did it. I was, I was still umming and ahhing about it. And my trainer, who's now one of my best mates, he, um, he said to me, it'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it, to say that you captained England and you'd box professionally. And I was like, and I, I think I said to you, my ego had, wasn't as big, but I was like, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. So then, yeah. then I decided, so my ego's still there. So uh, then I decided yep. that I'll do it. Um, and then I just went on this crazy journey for, I don't know, what year was that that I had that fight, 2012? Yeah, for 2012, you had the first boxing fight. It seemed like you only had the one, and then you signed with the, the Days of Glory promotion in the, in the MMA. Um, and you had a... Your first fight was a majority draw, yeah. and then you went yeah, so, on to win. You defeated. Yeah, so I went off. I ended up having like, I think all in all about seventeen or eighteen fights um, over a period of between two thousand twelve and I don't know two thousand sixteen or two thousand seventeen. So um, yeah. that was like a crazy period, and I fought everywhere. I fought. London, I fought in Jakarta, down in Christchurch, in Dubai, um, all around yep. Australia. It was like a crazy period of my life and uh, some stages I was fighting, you know, four or five fights in six months, you know what I mean? And, um, That's a lot. Yeah, it was, it was a crazy period of my life. Um, and then one day I just didn't want to do it anymore. Same thing, I was just like, I can't think of anything worse than being punched in the face one more time. So I just didn't yeah. want to do it anymore. Um, sort of like... And what, how, of, was the how was the transition? Because you said that you boxed predominantly as a kid. That was where you had your knowledge and you sparred in boxing. Going into the cage is a totally different kettle of fish. I mean, you're, 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 you're going to get chucked around. You're going to get beaten up with most parts of the body. You know, how was the transition going into that? Do you think your, your, your toughness from your, your childhood has allowed you to kind of, you know, handle that pressure? Um, no, it's just, it's, I mean, it's just, I know it looks brutal and everything, but it's just skill. It's different skills. I, I've also got a Brazilian jiu-jitsu background, so I've done, I did Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Okay. okay. Obviously not as much as I did boxing, but I was... I was a decent. You knew, you knew your way around. You knew, you knew what you were doing. You, you had, a, you had an understanding of what you were doing. I thought you just boxed, 
and then you'd gone into MMA, which is a, a big transition. You would you'd be oh, in trouble, geez. I think. Yeah, I'd be a lot of trouble, yeah. Um, no, so I, I've got a good, um, good, really decent grasp of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I would say I'm a, a, a good boxer. Um, mm-hmm. And then probably that fight that my, leading up to my MMA debut, I think I had a couple of months. It was just a case of I was never going to kick. So I just had to learn to defend some kicks. I had mm-hmm. to um, maybe just, I was going to try and keep the fight on, 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 on my feet. So I just trying some basic takedown defense. Um, I was just to avoid really getting up wrestling against the cage and try. If I went mm-hmm. down onto the cage, I was comfortable with my jiu-jitsu. Uh, I just didn't want to get mm-hmm. stuck up in the cage. And, and then just to defending kicks and and just let my hands go. Um, so that was that was what we worked on. So it wasn't like in the two months from what I had to prepare for the fight that I was going to learn how to like land spinning back kicks. And uh, I was never. I didn't try and do that. I just tried to keep it basic. So you, used, you, you were smart. You were smart with what you. You were smart with what you had. What you had. You worked with it, and you, and you made it. What, what was your? What was your toughest fight? Um, my toughest fight, um, I had a fight down in New Zealand, um, a boxing fight, um, down there against Monty Beatham, who, um, he was, I think, New Zealand champion, and he, he fought for a world title. He, he, I think he, he fought Shane Cameron, who fought David Tua, so, okay. um, I, that was a, that was a, that was a, um, that was a hard fight. Um, I ended up being How many rounds? How many rounds was that? I think there was. I don't know. I think I got punched so many times I can't remember the last four rounds. So, <laughs> it was. Uh, I think it was six rounds. Um, but that was that was a tough fight, and I lost that one. So um, that um, that was probably the toughest fight. He was a seriously tough guy, and um, we gave it to each other for six rounds. So. Um, but that was that would have been my. Well, you ever? I mean, you must have been. You must. You must have. I'm, I'm, I'm a big boxing fan, big MMA, big MMA fan as well. I've never got, never really got in there myself, and and been able to. Never. I've done a bit of sparring, but nothing, nothing, nothing like you. What you've done. Were you ever? You know, nerves would have been there, but were you ever really shitting yourself going into a fight? I mean, coming from a coming from a cricketing background and getting in and and having a, a fighting with serious fighters here. Was there ever a time that you were walking out thinking, um, you know, I'm in trouble here, i.e. that fight in New Zealand? No, I, I don't know. It's weird. Um, I mean, I think, funnily enough, one of the things I, I do now is I talk to a lot of the fighters about, fighters about controlling their emotions um, mm-hmm. because... Funnily enough, everyone thinks fighters are so tough and, you know, mental toughness. They're, 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 they're tough in the sense that they're physically durable and they can take punishment. Mm-hmm. But often they haven't... If you had 50 fights as a professional fighter, as a boxer, that's a veteran. That's like... Not many people would have 30 fights in their life. Yeah. Professional yeah. So that's 30 times you've had to control your emotions 
as a cricketer, you might do that 30 times in a season. Yeah. The nerves of batting or whatever. So you learn to control it and you learn to, um, to deal with those situations. So um, I had a good grasp of that. So, I, I mean, don't, um, don't get me wrong. I was nervous. I remember the first time I went to go and fight in the cage. I thought, what the hell am I doing here? Uh, it's ridiculous, but um, yeah. well, I, I told myself, you know, this, you just got to get into the correct frame of mind to access the skills that you've learned, and that's all you can do. Mm -hmm. Nerves aren't going to serve you; um, they actually can help you because you know nerves are they they arouse you, you know, they heighten your instincts, so you're able to mm -hmm. do things that you aren't normally able to do under those circumstances because nerves bring on adrenaline. You see mums can lift cars off of their babies when they've got adrenaline yeah. going. You can superhuman things. So you can harness that as well. Um, and I think probably, you know, a 17 year professional career in, or 14 year professional career in, in, um, in cricket gives you some good tools with which to control that anxiety. So, um, mm -hmm. Uh, I'm worse. I, look, I'm not lying. I got nerves, of course. I'm, I'm, I'm human. But um, I just, I think by that stage, I was, and also I was, you know, I was 40 when I made my debut, so much more in control. Of my, if I'd been doing the same thing when I was 20 or 16, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know what my emotions would have been doing. So I think you're just yeah. much more, you'd be much more in control of your emotions now than you would have been when you were younger. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, definitely. You've been through everything. I've been through stuff. By the time I'm 40, I've been through everything. I've, I've been through being picked for Surrey, being picked for England, dropped by England. I'd lost my brother. I had children. Mm -hmm. I'd had money. I'd lost my money. So I've been through stuff. My resilience is high. I've been through a lot of stuff. So yep. I'm going, what are you going to do? Beat me up in a cage? It's like, I've seen everything. Do you know what I mean? It's not, yeah. you can't scare me. So it's like, but I think at the age you, of 40, uh, at the age of 40, at the age of 40 to have, 18, 18 fights. That's bloody pretty impressive going, mate. I mean, most people would be getting to forty and probably thinking, right, I'm going to, I'm going to hang the gloves up. And you, you've went out and had a had an MMA and boxing career. It's incredible. Don't get me wrong. I was instead of picking the boxing gloves up, I wouldn't mind picking out my pipe and slippers, but I needed the money. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I think uh, you know, talking through your talking through your story, Adam, is. is it's unreal, really is. I mean, from where you came from, from where you got to, it just shows anybody. I mean, I try my best in these podcasts to tell a, to tell a person's full story and the journey. You know, there's it's not all about all the ups. There's a lot of downs that come along the way. There's a lot of life challenges that will bump you, but you need to, you know, you need to you need to keep rising and you need to keep going on. And uh, for you to, at the age of forty, do what you did, I think is. Is, is is amazing. Um, I would like to ask you a few quick questions just to just to finish up with. Um, proudest moment in your cricket career? Um, probably, I think I was winning the championship in nineteen ninety nine. Um, they were all my all my mates, Mark Butcher, who I grew up with, um, yeah. my brother, all of us. Um, that was winning something with your close mates. I won fights and I've won stuff playing for England and higher profile stuff. But I think yeah. just winning with people you've grown up with and that's that's the best.
So ninety yeah. nine. Um, yeah. Best cricketer you played with and against. With um, nineteen ninety seven, the nineteen ninety seven Sakwe Mushtaq. Um, or the 1993 Waka Yunus. It's a tie. Those two guys were just yeah, it's, ridiculous. It's a hard one. It's a hard one Impossible. to pick between those. Yeah. yeah. Um, and who's the best you played against? It's the best I played against. Cricketer. Yeah. I'd think probably the best cricketer. It's, it's, it's again, I think it's a tie. It's between... Muralithran and Shane Warne. Yep. I mean, they're okay. both unbelievable for different. I mean, they're both spinners, but they're both unbelievable for different reasons. Muralithran is yep. the best bowler that I've ever played against. Yeah. Um, but Shane Warne, just his, he was not a bad bowler as well. But his, yeah. um, on top of that, he was very intelligent and his cricketing knowledge and nous was outstanding. So I'd say those two guys. I know you. Yeah, those two guys. I'm only supposed to have one, but they keep choosing. No, you can ask two. You can ask two. I'm a cheat like that. Who's your your best mate in cricket? My best mate in cricket. Um, We said Sackland. You did say Sackland was up there. One of your yeah, he's definitely up there. Uh, He'd he'd definitely be up there. He'd be in my top five. Um, Yeah, but probably I'll probably say Ian Sackland. Um, Alex Tudor is another close friend of mine, um, you know, incredible friend of mine. Uh, but I'll probably say Ian Sutcliffe, we did that um, that walk together. I think once you do something like that together, um, you got a bond that will never yeah, special yeah, bond. I don't, I, I don't know how you go past that, yeah. So, probably Ian Sutcliffe. What advice would you give for any young cricketers, but any young sports people in general that are wanting to go into a to be professionals and their and their and their and their chosen sport. If they're already professional, or if they're wanting to become professional, they're wanting to become professional. Okay, well, I would say a couple of things. Number one thing: um, don't just focus on that sport. I mean, you've got to get the basics. But if you're young, then keep playing all sports because you develop. Um, problem-solving abilities and athleticism by playing all sports. And then when you decide that you know what sport you want to do, you'll become good at it if you do it every day. But it's having the basics and then repeating that over and over and over with good technique. If you do something like that, then when a skill becomes subconscious, then you can do anything. It's like I would say when you first started, I don't know about you, but when I first started texting on my phone, I was like, where's the E? Where's, I can't find the S. Where's the S? And then now you can like do it without even looking. You know what I mean? It kind of yeah, just happens. Yeah. So if you practice yeah. your skills enough, then you'll be able to do that without even thinking. So but you've got to do that enough. So it's just correct technique. Repetition. Repetition. Keep, keep, keep practicing. And enjoyment as well. Yeah, you know, enjoy, enjoyment's got to be part. I think enjoyment's really important. If you don't enjoy something, then... It can become a bit of a, you know, a bit of a struggle. Well, that's why I don't play golf. I hate golf. It's like, it's like, it's no, like I'm this. the same. I've never played. I've played cricketers. It's meant to be like to get the, the the thing you do. You play golf. I'm like you. Whenever I was on tour or anything, I'd never go and play golf. No, 
It's a cheap game, isn't it? It's terrible. No, I don't know how not, you want to do it. <laughs> You're Scottish, mate. You meant to you invented it. I know, I know, I meant to. The, the whole place is surrounded. I'm surrounded by golf courses. I've never played a full round of golf in my life. And that's it. That's, it's, it's, it's weird. What does the future what does the future hold for Adam Holyoke then? I don't know. It's like I kinda like I've stopped trying to predict too much and I just go with the flow. Um I would say like, like be humble or life will cast humbleness upon you. It's like my everyone who knows me gets bored of hearing me say it, but uh, it's like life will always throw something at you. Um, at some stage we lose our money, at some stage we lose loved ones, we get ill, um, we have our hearts broken. It's how we respond to those things that determines how happy that we're going to be in our life. So um, I just I just go through just trying to enjoy life and then and just adapt to my scenario, adapt to my environment, whatever that is. is um, um, I'd like to claim this quote, but I can't. Um, it's like it's not the strongest nor the most intelligent species that survives. It's the one that's most adaptable to change. So it's obviously Charles mm -hmm. Darwin, but um, I just think that you'd adapt to your situation and whatever happens, you just adapt to that. And um, if you start planning things too much, then you can't go in the direction you need to be able to go. You need to be like liquid and be able to move wherever you need to be able to go. No, it's brilliant. So by, having brilliant. By, by having a plan sometimes, you're putting restrictions on yourself. If I say, I want to do that, then I might be missing an opportunity that's coming over here. I'm just focused on, on that. That's great. It's, it, it's great advice you've given. It's great to see what your, what your view is on life. You seem like you've, you've really evolved through the years as a, as a person, you know, as a cricketer, as a person in your personal life. And, you know, you've done a, you've done a lot of amazing things. I'm sure you're a, a good, good, great role model for your kids, and they'll they'll they'll, they'll go into to you know follow in your footsteps and do lots of lots of great things in their life as well. Um, I just want to say thank you. Um, we had you know I really really appreciate you taking your time out to speak to me. No it means it means a lot to me.